welcome to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig, Executive Director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin, and our usual host, Matt Brusky, is on a field trip to Los Angeles with his son to check out uh, great universities. And Matt, by the way, went to school himself at Loyola Marymount out there, so has a, a bias towards getting some sun before moving back to uh, great Milwaukee and Wisconsin. But we are joined by our usual panelist, uh, Rebecca Lynch, the political director for the Wisconsin Working Families Party. So, Rebecca, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here, Robert. And we will have a special guest later in the show uh, that is going to talk about a major three-hour governor's forum on, uh, on the progressive radio station of Milwaukee, all focused on education issues. And so we will talk about that, and it will also be podcasted so people around the state can hear it. And it's on the same station, 1510, that uh, that Battleground Wisconsin appears on, on Sunday mornings. So, we have a bunch of news this week, Rebecca. And the first, I guess, not a big surprise, since we think Governor Walker will may break all campaign records with both uh, raising tons of dirty money and then the dark money that will come behind him. But Governor Walker has an ad, and it's upbeat. I'm the kind of person that runs towards danger, not away from it. I went to technical college to become a first responder, and now I'm a paramedic and a firefighter. I have a chance to save lives every day. Governor Walker is helping people like me get the training we need. More people are working in Wisconsin than ever before, and our Fast Forward program is providing funding so people can get those better jobs that require new skills. And people like Shayla, well, she can help save lives. So what can you tell us about the great works that Governor Walker wants to report to voters. So Governor Walker has an ad uh, touting what he um, claims to be really great employment statistics for the state. I mean, we've talked in the past on the podcast about what some of those numbers leave out, particularly underemployment, people who have left the workforce. Uh, but in any case, he's got this ad, and he is clearly, and this is not just us speaking, this is um, the, you know, this is reported on the news as well, clearly targeting suburban women. You know, all those folks who came out and voted for Judge Dallet, folks who voted for Patty Schachter, uh, really trying to stem the tide of the blue wave. And the ad talks about how he has supposedly put so much money into technical education uh, and grants for folks that they can now go out and get great jobs. And in particular, it highlights a woman, I think her name was Shayla, who uh, you know credits Governor Walker and his support of the technical colleges for her ability to become a paramedic and get a great career. And uh, our fact diggers at One Wisconsin Now, uh, led by Scott Ross, we're able to determine that the program that the headlines Walker has in the ad, that they put in the ad to prove he's doing something on workforce development, uh, actually were headlines for a program that that didn't exist when uh, the the, the, the young woman in the ad actually got her education. That's one thing. And the second thing, of course, is for Walker to tout himself as a champion of technical colleges, like he invented them, when in fact he had the largest cuts to them in Wisconsin history, and they're, they're diminished because of his leadership, not expanded as they should be. Yeah, I think this is going to be like a common uh, campaign tactic that we see from Governor Walker throughout the next several months. You know, he's going to talk about his support for creating jobs, uh, and he's going to leave out all the things that he's done to diminish our ability to create jobs. And I think this is one example. Obviously, Foxconn is another, which we'll get to later on the show. Um, but this is clearly what he thinks is the winning message uh, for for you know rega- you know for being reelected in November. So part of it, as you pointed out, Rebecca, is to try to 
uh, curb the blue wave by not a, by appealing to voters that Trump does not appeal to fairly dramatically, and that his chosen candidate for state supreme court did not appeal to. Uh, the other thing is to soften his record, right? I mean, he's running on education, which given his stunning cuts to education in this state, K through 12 and colleges and technical colleges and universities, is stunning, which tells you his polling says he needs to like clean up his record and have a softer edge. And then there's a third thing here, and that is this has been a mantra of his and, of the, and the rights for a while, and a lot of establishment folks, even some Democrats, that somehow the problem, the employment problem, the wage problem in our state and our country has to do with the workers, it's the workers' fault, and that they, we just need better trained workers. But then to parade out and claim that he's actually doing something about it at a time when he's dramatically cutting education. I know he put money back in his last budget, again, part of his softer edge. But in fact, he didn't make up for all the damage he's already done. And he's given so much money away to Foxconn. If reelected, he will he'll be in a situation of making more dramatic cuts to education. I will... I was willing to bet my my uh, my 401k on that. Someone write that down. Um, yep, I, I totally agree with all that. I think, um, you know, right now, the Democratic gubernatorial candidates are not up on the air, and the election hasn't truly started in full swing. But it is going to take a lot, and, and granted, Governor Walker will be, uh, as you mentioned, raising a lot, including in dark money and spending a lot. Uh, but it's going to take a lot to make Wisconsinites forget that he failed um, but, you know, ran for president unsuccessfully again, but ran for president is someone who is very supportive of President Trump, has appeared with President Trump. And all of the things that these voters dislike about Trump, you could not tie more tightly to Governor Walker. And he, Governor Walker is implementing them in the state, but he's also one of her, President Trump's like biggest political boosters. And I think it's going to take quite a lot to make people forget that in a year when they're voting against, you know, the White House and what's happening in D.C., well, not only that, I agree with that, all of that, Rebecca. In addition to that, I mean, you have a two-term incumbent and you have a, a great dissatisfaction with the economy. And he's trying to thread a needle here because he can't run around. He wants to say, oh, unemployment low, unemployment low. But he knows that he, that he can't convince a lot of people in, in Wisconsin's rural areas or in Wisconsin's urban areas that somehow the economy is great. And so it shows how misleading these statistics are. Wages are stagnant. People in rural areas are working two to three jobs to hang on. Their kids have to leave the area because they, uh, because they can't find uh, you know, good employment that they could build a family with. And in urban areas, we have large numbers of people who are out of the workforce and no plan for Walker to get them into the workforce. It's not just a matter of, as Ronald Reagan once said, look at the want ads. And in fact, forcing a lot, a lot more people off of public assistance, which we're going to get to. Uh, so the problem is he wants to, the incumbent has to say they're practical and are doing things. Uh, but he can't go and do the glowing th like Tommy Thompson did in the 90s. Things are going great. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Though he's going to try to say that in some more defensible way. Yeah. What I think is really interesting is, uh, I don't know if folks remember the ad that he released about six months ago, um, but the, the differences between this uh, first official campaign ad and that. 
which was like, I think we had a, a lot more work to do. And it was Governor Walker on a motorcycle traveling across the state. It's kind of gimmicky. Uh, and this is very different. You know, folks see the ad. It's him being interviewed on TV, proper kind of like official campaign ad. And I take that to to mean that, the like, as you mentioned earlier, Robert, obviously they're spending millions of dollars on polling. Um, just not like a conjecture. We know that. You know, I think what it shows is that between six months ago and now, they learned the lesson that voters are tired of the gimmicks. And they don't want a showman. They want somebody who's going to, you know, just get the state right on track and have like really like low drama uh, governance that we haven't had. And by the way, this is not just Trump, right? I think like voters right now are responding to Trump. They don't like the tweeting every time you ask them. They don't like his style. They don't like what's happening in D.C. Uh, but Governor Walker has not been a staid uh, governor either. And I think like as Hopefully, the Democratic candidates are tying Governor Walker to Trump as he should be tied and exposing who he is politically um, as he tries to soften his image. I hope that they're also reminding folks of what's been happening in the state over the last eight years, not only these like awful cuts to education, awful cuts to, um, you know, just our, uh, the other quality of life issues in Wisconsin, but also just the way he does business you know, fighting with Democrats, what happened in the Capitol with Act 10, this is like a no-holds-bar kind of wrestling match that the governor has been waging, and I, voters are sick of it. Yeah, I agree with all of that, but there's kind of this problem, uh, and I probably disagree with a lot of political professionals on our side about this, that if you just critique what's wrong and what's wrong with Walker, it doesn't give voters any kind of hope that it could be better. And I, there's a lot of research that shows that in many ways, a lot of voters have given up on things being better and they're cynical. And so they kind of have an attitude, well, and this is how Walker won re-election before. Things are still pretty bad, but there's not much you could do. We just got to wait for the economy to get better, like it's a natural force. And Walker's doing something. I've seen all the ads of him in hard hats walking around at factories and saying he's doing something about jobs. And so you do need to have an alternative, I think. And I know a lot of professional, political professionals think a generic Democrat will win regardless, and we should just critique Walker and Trump. So that's one level of issue. The other is that even though Trump is highly unpopular, the popular part of Trump with his base is, is that he's not a standard politician. And Walker's biggest challenge is, is that he is a standard politician. This is someone who is a political animal. This is all he does, and he would shapeshift in every possible way to win re-election. And voters hate that. So he has to present himself, try to present himself differently, but if he, to the extent he does it in these blow-dry kind of standard ads, I actually think it undercuts him in a lot of ways because it's hard for him not to seem like a career politician when he's already been in office eight years. And here's my frustration, and we've talked about this before, but my frustration with the Democratic field um, for in the governor's race, right? We have a field that I have a lot of sympathy for them. I think it's very tough to break away, very tough to raise the money and get your message out. Um, and I know we have to wrap up the segment, but you know, I'm not hearing from anyone right now in particular that they are putting forward that hopeful, positive vision. So we have to take a break. And when we get back, we're at Battleground Wisconsin. We're going to talk about more negative vision from conservatives. Okay, welcome back. This is Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig, Executive Director of Citizen Action Wisconsin, alongside Rebecca Lynch, the Political Director for the Wisconsin Working Families Party. Now, we had just talked about Walker's first ad, 
But just as we're getting into big campaign season where the massive amounts of bribe money walkers taken starts to be seen on the airwaves and enrich our, our media conglomerates that own the TV stations and the radio stations, uh, that's, that's the game and that's the cycle, right? Uh, in addition, the Trump agenda continues to uh, ravage across the country. And I'm not talking about, you know, Trump diplomacy in Iran or North Korea. I'm talking about the attack on the basic safety net that protects people. So what came out this week, and Democrats actually did a very good job being very strong in responding. Uh, I want to particularly call out uh, uh, Senate Leader Jennifer Schilling for being very strong on this, and also Lisa Subic, uh, State Representative from Madison, is, is that according to the Legislative Fiscal Bureau analysis, so that's the nonpartisan agency in the state capitol created during the Wisconsin idea, actually, which looks at the effect of, of bills, like both fiscal effect and policy effect. The LFB, as they're called, let's say Fiscal Bureau, found that the changes in the farm bill, which have just gone through a committee in the U.S. House of Representatives and are going to a full vote of the House soon and are part of the Trump agenda, would force 75,720 individuals in Wisconsin off of food assistance. We, we're talking about both SNAP, which is what food stamps are now called, and we're also talking about free and reduced school, uh, cost school lunches uh, for low-income kids. And of this group, 23,000 are children. And so it's a little complicated. Part of it is because of a work requirement. And we have to understand, in Walker land, because Walker also is, is imposed work requirements, uh, somehow these low-income folks all have access to jobs, and they just need a spur. And he calls them able-bodied, you know, which is something out of the 19th century. Like, you can dig a ditch, there's plenty of ditch-dicking to do, right, so to speak. Uh, and so, but in fact, as we've pointed out, if you're not in the workforce and there aren't any jobs in your area and there's no mass transit to the jobs and the jobs you can get keep you in poverty anyway and you don't have childcare, et cetera, then the jobs really aren't available to you, right? And so this is just cruel and hard-hearted at the end of the day and to have uh, kids uh, go without lunch, go without breakfast, and, and, and we expect them to learn. Then we can. Then the next generation conservatives, if they have power, can blame them later uh, for their poverty uh, when when this was done to them. Uh, so it, it is incredibly heartless and outrageous. The other change is not just work requirements. There's something called a categorical eligibility, where if you're eligible for one uh, program, you're eligible for others. So if you're eligible for food stamps or SNAP, as it's called now. You're assumed to be uh, eligible for uh, reduce, free or reduced school lunch. Well, they get rid of that, and that's designed to make it harder to qualify for programs and to force people off the program. So make no mistake, this is just about forcing people off of food assistance programs, and, and many of them children. So, um, Robert, I have a question for you. Uh, with the state um, welfare-to-work requirements that were just passed, and there was that chilling article in the Washington Post last week about the family who, you know, is now terrified in dire straits and worried that the owning of their, their one car, which they desperately need to get to work and drop the kids off from school, whatever else, might actually jeopardize their ability to get benefits. How, how does what's happening on the federal level with the farm bill impact what's happening locally? Um, does it just, like, expand the number of people who are impacted? Or As far as I know, yeah. I mean, I, I assume there are complicated interactions that, that people have to study. Um, but the, the initial, the, it doesn't look at like the LFB report gets to that. It just talks about the additional impact of this proposed federal change. It's part of the way through the House of Representatives. Uh, but Walker, under Walker, uh, 
a huge number of people were already forced off of SNAP, and, uh, and he's now extended that to parents. It was just uh, childless adults before, and the numbers are pretty astounding. Uh, I'm, I'm remembering the numbers, so they're rough. I think over 80,000, roughly, maybe up to 90,000, had lost assistance under his work requirement, Walker's work requirement, this is, and something like only less than 20,000 got jobs. Of course, Walker ran around and said he gave 20,000 people roughly, I think it's a little less than that, but roughly 20,000 people jobs, but there's no tracking. So people may have found, got bet, placed in a job, gotten you know really low-grade training that, that a contractor provides, um, and then they, the job might have been horrendous. They may have held the job, and we, of course, don't, we wouldn't want to track after that because that would show that the program isn't working. So this is additive, but it's part of a broader right-wing agenda. It's part of an agenda Paul Ryan has been pushing for a long time and is literally, unlike any other developed country, moving to a very mean position. We're in this market economy where there are winners and losers, where there's massive economic equality, where there are a lot of people shut out of opportunity, and we're going to say that, we're, that, that, as a, that we're, we're not the kind of moral society that makes sure that people who need food are going to get food, just for example, which is stunning. Yeah, it's just um, so clearly punishing. And, you know, especially when you look at it within the context of the rest of the Trump and Walker agenda, you know, the massive tax breaks and subsidies that we're giving to corporations. Uh, and meanwhile, we are, you know, revoking, just yanking food stamps out of the homes of, of people with families. And I wonder, like, well, I don't wonder, I know that, you know, whatever, quote unquote, savings there could be, from these policies are nothing compared to the money that is being, you know, given away to, um, you know, multi-billion and multi-million company, millionaire companies um, to do very little. And so it's just like really um, not even like a fig leaf of a justification really for why they're doing this. Right. And we will soon get to Foxconn, but you have to think about priorities, right? Four billion for Foxconn. And by, by the way, the Foxconn deal was announced at the White House, so there's Trump involvement. And again, the problem with Walker trying to separate himself from Trump, right? right uh, that, that That's how they want to spend the money, unaccountable subsidies, or, or not very accountable, that don't produce nearly many jobs as any other investments could make in economic opportunity and devel economic development generally. Uh, instead, uh, but we need to cut food assistance to low-income families and children who are trying to work their way up the economic ladder and need more assistance doing it. And then Walker claiming that somehow his in his new ad that somehow he has funded uh, education at a higher level and workforce training, so he's creating more opportunity. Uh, quite frankly, you're making it way harder for a family to, uh, to, get, to, to, to find very scarce employment, and it's low-wage employment, which, which doesn't pay the rent, that's why we have a record level of evictions, not just in Milwaukee, but all over the state, right? Um, it, being hungry makes it worse. Any, any more instability makes it worse, not better, and they don't care because, well, this will sound circular, because they don't care. Right. No, and, I, I, you know, we talked about this last time, but the, you know, in my mind, the folks who benefit the most from forcing people into low-wage employment are low-wage employers, that, like, those low-wage employers need workers, um, so they continue to make a huge profit off of exploiting people. People who, like, would be the ones to be exploited are weighing the opportunity cost of getting paid very little or not paying for childcare or doing any number of other things that one might need to do in that moment 
Um, and so Governor Walker is like, no, you have to go work for my friends who are donating to my campaign, whether it's at McDonald's or wherever it is. And I think that it is um, like th- that's my cynical take. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's accurate, but, um, you know, I think it's it's really upsetting. And then there's like this other like ancillary thing that's been happening federally that we probably don't have time to get into today. But it's like the attack on farms. And, you know, we're seeing it with the trade war, not trade war. I know there was an announcement in the last week of maybe like slow rolling some things, putting some stuff on hold, um, depending on the country we're talking about. Um, but whether it's that, whether it's um, the other things that, you know, have been stopped with free trade that would have actually benefited farms. And now this, I mean, food stamps is like hugely tied to the farm industry in this country. And I think like it's just kind of interesting. Like, I wonder, like, you know, if sometimes it feels like they aren't thinking through the the other ripple effects of these major changes in policy. Well, I'm sure they're still taking care of agribusiness. So that's the difference. Remember they wanted to create, uh, hand out the harvest boxes? Oh, yeah, that's right. When they were going to let, say, <laughs> to poor families that, we're going to spend billions more to do it this way rather right. than giving them the ability to go to the store and pick out their own food, that they were going to receive these harvest boxes of stuff agribusiness had surplus of want to get rid of. And so good luck getting the kids to eat uh, canned lima beans or whatever else, or, or tasteless cheese, right? Though I hear the, I hear the government cheese has improved, but I've, I can't verify that. Someone, because we, we are allied with the, the major you know, hunger advocates in the state, I was told that the government cheese isn't as bad as it used to be, but I have a feeling the canned lima beans and things like that are not so great. But you know, Rebecca, there's kind of a, you can, you can talk about factual things and we're kind of talking from our narrative frame, a progressive narrative frame, right? But if you take a step back, what's interesting is, is that in the conservative narrative, the problem is individuals who aren't doing well. So blame poor kids, blame poor families, right? Punish them, hold them accountable. And the great people are the corporate titans lavish favors on Foxconn, try to bribe Kimberly Clark into staying, et cetera. And so, and and in the progressive narrative, we understand in our narrative, the economy and its problems is partly because of what the powerful people in our society do and what greedy capitalists do to expropriate wealth and extract wealth and leave uh, devastated communities behind. And so the narratives are not, are, are inconsistent so entirely. They're totally two different stories, and there are a lot that, but there are voters who can kind of cross between the two narratives. And it's a really a question of which narrative they're inhabiting at a given time. Yeah, no, and I think, you know, as we talked about earlier, um, and we will continue to with the blue wave, um, you know, suburban voters in particular are like a real swing demographic right now. And I wonder how this plays with them. So we need to take a break at Battleground Wisconsin, but we would come back, believe it or not, more news from Foxconn. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig, Executive Director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin, joined by Rebecca Lynch, the Political Director for the Wisconsin Working Families Party. And we had just been talking about the savage cuts in food assistance and SNAP in uh, free and reduced school lunches for kids coming out of Washington, out of the Trump administration and the right-wing House of Representatives, which is hopefully on its way out with the blue wave, knock on wood. Obviously, we have to make it go out. It won't just happen naturally. Uh, But meanwhile, the Foxconn, as we like to call it, uh, continues to make news. Democrats are holding hearings all over the state. And not to our surprise, but perhaps a surprise to Scott Walker and his strategists, 
uh, people all over the state don't aren't actually feeling like the four billion dollar investment in Foxconn is going to help their communities in any in any appreciable way, and are concerned about this kind of giant handoff to a multinational corporation uh, to be regulated by an administration that has shown no interest in holding any companies accountable uh, for job creation goals. Then we have the environmental stuff that was all sandbagged during the debate. How many hundred millions of gallons of, of water and, and, and how much air pollution? A lot. Uh, I mean, hundreds of millions here. Uh, and one of the biggest pollution sources in all of Southeast Wisconsin right away. So, Rebecca, what is your take on some of these town halls? There was a big one that happened in Chippewa Falls uh, this week. And believe it or not, folks in Chippewa Falls aren't feeling the Foxconn is going to help their community. No, people aren't. I think, you know, my take on it is that I'm really looking for some um, some real, like, hard response from the gubernatorial candidates. Um, the the uh, town hall in Chippewa Falls was two uh, legislators. I think it was Heinz and, and Dana Walks. Dana Walks is running for governor. Um, and I think, you know, we've got all of the gubernatorial candidates. Um, I think Gronick originally wasn't anti-Foxconn, but maybe is coming around. I'm not sure. I think he, he, he kind of reversed himself. At first he thought, hey, sounds like a pretty good deal, which is probably not a good, like, gut reaction. I know when I heard, oh, it was $3 billion then, $3 billion for big Malaysia corporation coming from the Walker administration, I didn't say, oh, boy. <laughs> well, so, so let's, let's, let's say he is against it now. I think all the Democratic uh, gubernatorial candidates are against the deal, as they should, should be, because as you mentioned, just from a political standpoint, it is unpopular everywhere in the state where it's not happening and increasingly unpopular where it is going to be located in southeast Wisconsin because of the smog, because of the issues with the water. Um, because the jobs seem to be um, marketed to Chicago millennials and not to people who live in Racine. Uh, but I think what you know we're looking for, certainly what I'm looking for as a voter who still hasn't made up my mind in the primary, uh, is for somebody to really say, when I come into office, this is what I'm going to do about this, and this is what I'm going to do moving forward about jobs, about investment, um, and about how we're going to like not only undo as much damage as possible, make sure this does not happen again, but what am I going to do instead? And that's just not something that I've heard. So in the Chippewa Falls um, town hall that you mentioned, Robert, you know, Dana Walks is like, listen, this is, we are now in a contract. Um, we lost. It was Democrats versus Republicans. Republicans had the majority. We lost. And now all we can do is just be eagle-eyed about it and see what is going to go wrong, if anything. And the second it does, jump on it. Um, and, and that's certainly one approach, but you know, I think uh, at least for me as a voter, I'm looking for someone who's going to be a bit stronger and have a bit more vision about how they they will be the governor if they win. It will be their show. So what are they going to do differently to lead the state? And I so far I haven't heard that. Yeah, and you could at least say I think I understand that Dana's a lawyer, so he he defaults to what the law is. You can't. Unlike Trump, who's not a lawyer and just said, we're going <laughs> to rip this treaty up, right? <laughs> so I appreciate that. But you could certainly use the power of the governor's office to make sure that all of the, not 13, but 33,000 jobs, including in the uh, supply chain, are actually created, and to use all the leverage of the state to make sure that happens, just for example. So, which would make it not as good as it could have been if we'd invest it in renewable energy or education or healthcare, but better than it's going to be. Uh, but it'd be good to express some sort of leadership. And you know what? We're just seeing press reports. It's, it's entirely possible that Dana said other things that weren't reported. So 
Uh, but I would say that overall, I think your critique is right, that uh, Democrats need to be sounding more like they will use the power of the office for a lot of things, not just Foxconn, right? Like, for example, we've heard some, not Dana, uh, say that, uh, and Dana's been strong on this, uh, say that, oh, Act 10, if I don't have a Democratic legislature, I can't do anything about it, rather than talking about what executive power they could use to restore the rights of, of workers to, to form a union and, and to maintain a union, just for example. Yeah, which is a question that, you know, he's been asked and people are asking all over the state. I mean, you know, this is a state where people are very familiar with unions and they want to see jobs that are created be union jobs. And that is something that is asked over and over again. And the answer is no. The Republicans did not want to make sure that these were union jobs. And uh, that is like half of the answer. But the other half of the answer should be what are you going to do about it when you're elected? So and by the way, I I I not given the exact number, the Foxconn will take 7 million gallons a day uh, from Lake Michigan, in addition to the other pollution, uh, air pollution and water pollution, and the elimination of wetlands. Uh, but interestingly enough, we had warned from the beginning, I had in fact warned in the original hearing, once I was allowed to speak by the Republican leadership, uh, that the Foxconn will become the new standard. Every company will ask for the Foxconn. Of course, we have Walker trying to give the Foxconn to Kimberly Clark, and Kimberly Clark currently not taking uh, the deal. But we had news that broke this week that Corning, a glassmaker, wanted more subsidies in order to uh, put itself next to Foxconn to provide glass for the factory. And interestingly enough, apparently that uh, there must be bad polling on this that the hundreds of millions of dollars in dark money is funding. But the Wisconsin Act Development Corporation, for the first time I can remember, said they will not be creating such a subsidy very quickly. Of course, I don't know. I'm, I'm suspicious. So maybe they're against it before they're for it. Uh, but at this point, they actually, after a couple days of this story, have said that they're not going to do it. But it's exactly the problem. Companies now are going to expect to get the same deal, both environmentally and in terms of economic bribes. Yeah, my favorite answer to this was, well, Foxconn can certainly pass down the subsidies to their suppliers, as if that's a thing that could possibly happen, right? Why would the Foxconn give away um, some this billion-dollar giveaway to other companies? That's not how greedy capitalism works. But yeah, it, it really um, begs the question, why are we, the Wisconsin taxpayers, you know, subsidizing Japanese glassmaking companies and not trying to bail out the Wisconsin paper industry. It just does not make sense. And frankly, there are much better plans like Amanda Stuck, a Citizen Action Co-op member, to actually invest in high-tech uh, modern paper industry and provide loans to do that to actually, rather than simply giveaways, right? Because we know that in the case of Kimberly-Clark, that the reason they're restructuring and reducing jobs dramatically is because they're using the Trump tax cut for that purpose, that they're using that revenue. Uh, so, by the way, my kind of bad spin of the week on the Foxconn <laughs> is uh, Rob Summerfield, state representative from Bloomer, who says, I've talked to a lot of companies that are excited to be in the Foxconn supply chain. So there are a lot of companies in Chippewa Falls area that are interested in being the supply chain. I think someone needs to ask Representative Summerfield which ones. But we only have a couple minutes left, Rebecca, and can you comment, can you tell us about what Ron Johnson has been saying? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I forgot that we had yeah, Ron Johnson so on deck. We only yeah. have, it won't need much <laughs> time for this, but Ron Johnson is, uh, wants to arm, have security guards in schools again and, and arm people in schools. Uh, so that was one piece of it. And then the other piece of it was even more shocking. You know what? It, it was so bad, I'm even forgetting what it was. Um, oh, 
that he wants 100% voucher school, 100% which is a perfect lead-in to our final topic in a minute. Actually, yeah, so so guns are not going away. We need to arm people. I want a 100% voucher program nationally for education. And he also is not giving up hope on the TPP. You know, I want to re- bring back the TPP, and I want free trade. So that is our senator. But my favorite thing he said uh, was, you know, the, the thing that I dislike the most about being in Washington is dealing with so many people who have lost touch with real Americans and real real voters. And I just like, in, in what part of Ron Johnson's life was he ever in touch with what any of us experience? I think probably never, um, but certainly not in the last 10 years and certainly not now. Um, as as shown by his statement, so that's our senator. Um. Well, it's <laughs> it's pure, unadulterated right wing ideology, unmediated by any sorts of intellectual capacity to think about what might or might not be Burn. good thing to say. <laughs> so, for example, I mean, this would be unpopular among a vast majority of Republicans. I mean, we're talking about, who want to talk about the, the Republican base in the state, right? Imagine we're closing Nicolet, we're closing Brookfield Central High School, right? We're, tr- we're closing all those suburban high schools, and we're going to have a voucher program, and you're going to get Walmart High School for excellence and uh, all sorts of fly-by-night private operators uh, running your high schools. That's what he, your senator that you elected just said. And his defense of it was um, a defense of the free market system, but his words were crazy. It was something like, the market is a brutal dictator. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it is. Why is that a justification? Um, yeah, so we want to put our kids <laughs> and our students under brutal dictatorship. <laughs> Great, Ron. So, yeah, that's our senator. Unfortunately, not up for election this year, but, um, you know, we will continue to, you know, folks have been protesting outside his office and calling his office and, and pushing him um, as much as we can. And obviously, we have a huge Senate race with Tammy Baldwin, who's our other senator, and we really need to keep her in there as um, a check and as someone who can just breathe some sanity into this debate. Well, apparently the senator's not running for re-election, which is going to sadden everyone, but we'll see if that changes. So we've got to take a break. Uh, you listen to Battleground Wisconsin. Find us at citizenactionwi.org. We'll be back to talk about a great governor's form coming up that's going to dig deeper into education policy than any other uh, Democratic gubernatorial debate has so far. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Cray, Executive Director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin, and alongside uh, Rebecca Lynch, the Political Director for the Wisconsin Working Families Party. And we have a special guest, uh, Ted Craig, and yes, he is related, he's my brother, but <laughs> having your brother on a, a radio show is not as, not as much nepotism as appointing them Attorney General, think of the Kennedys. Uh, but... He, Ted is here. He's, the, he's, a, he's a, uh, uh, one of the directors of WEAC Region 7 uh, to talk about a three-hour forum with the major candidates for governor in the Democratic side in Wisconsin to dig into education issues. And so, Ted, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And so, as we've all known, education, if you poll it, is one of the top, it usually polls as the top priority most of the time in Wisconsin. And yet there have been a series of elections where uh, politicians uh, posing as defenders of public education have been attackers of public education and have been passing a series of different uh, of, of initiatives designed to undermine it, but not the, both voucher programs and the uh, private charter schools and, may, and bring them statewide, starting in Milwaukee, but going statewide. And so 
it seems very important to really delve into the education positions of these Democratic candidates and to make a differentiation between who are really the pro-public education candidates who would actually take our schools uh, to the next level and who would not. And so, Ted, can you say a little bit about uh, the forum, how people can get access to it, and what, and what, the, what your objectives are? than many of the forums that people may have uh, either been to or heard about. Um, for one thing, as you mentioned, it's going to be purely about uh, education. And um, as you mentioned, that's become a top-tier issue. It's really great that it has, because three or four years ago, I think everybody in the movement fighting for adequate funding and against corporate privatization of the schools felt it wasn't a voting issue in elections, but it's become one, so much so that as you know, Scott Walker, after three horrendous budgets savaging the public schools, actually put some money into them, at least on the front end. So uh, to have a forum just on public education makes it really unique. Um, the other part of this, a uh, couple parts of it is, it's a live radio broadcast that takes place over three hours. So for each hour of the broadcast, we'll have three of the nine candidates who are attending present. And the goal here is to um, give them a lot more time to talk, debate, have interaction, including with the audience, rather than what we've seen at a lot of forums where you have um, 10 or more people sitting on a, on a stage and they get like 30 seconds to answer questions because there's so many people. Um, the final part of this is it's actually at a, a lively, festive social location, the Miramar Theater uh, on Oakland in um, on the east side of Milwaukee. And uh, there will be drinks, there will be a food truck, and uh, it's part of a series of broadcasts that we've been doing called Educators Amplified, where we try to make it really festive and lively and have uh, discussions about education that you just do not hear anywhere else. So, Ted, um, this is going to be on the same station, Battleground Wisconsin, broadcasts on on Sundays. That is WRRD 1510 AM radio. And those uh, listeners to, to listen to the podcast, not the radio station, uh, for Battleground Wisconsin can listen either live at 1510's uh, WRD's website or can listen to the podcast later. So this is some way that anyone interested in education issues can get what is to date going to be the most in-depth dive into what each of these nine men and women would actually do about education. Yeah, that's right. So you have every opportunity, whether you can be there uh, to have beer and food with us uh, and participate. Uh, you can listen live and you can live stream uh, through News Talk 10 a.m., the website of the station. And there will be actually uh, a couple of video feeds, too. So there's a lot of ways to see this forum before and after. And we hope to get candidates on the record on what they really do, because um, our feeling is, is that returning to the old status quo, like when we had Jim Doyle as governor, uh, is not what we need uh, from candidates for governor. We really need people who are much more visionary about actually creating equality and opportunity in education and having the best possible schools. And, um, you know, the truth is is that it, it, it's been bipartisan, a lot of the damage that's been done to public schools. There's a lot of Democratic support for privatizing schools through private charters and even vouchers. And we want to make, we really want to see where each of these candidates stands and how bold they're going to be to create great schools. Speaking of that, of Jim Doyle, he used to like to call himself the goalie. We know what happened once the goalie left. It was an empty net. <laughs> and so that's what we've been experiencing. And again, I, I think we said at the beginning, but this is Saturday, May 12th, from noon to 3 p.m. And if people miss it, they can listen to the, po well, we'll listen to the podcast on News Talk 1510 AM's website. 
Uh, Ted, this is Rebecca Lynch. I'm curious to know uh, what it is that you're looking for from the candidates. I mean, I think broadly you mentioned, you know, not just the status quo and being visionary in education. Um, and we've talked about that a lot on the podcast. Um, Robert brings it up all the time when it comes to the economy um, or any number of other issues. You know, what are you for? Like, are you giving folks a reason to hope? And I think we all, um, you know, folks who are listening to the podcast, myself, I'm sure Robert, really want to see an end to privatization. Um, but that's not being for something so much as like trying to stop the damage that's being done. And I'm really curious as somebody who um, is immersed in education all the time, you know, what is it that you're looking for um, from the person that when it's election day, it's primary day and you have to go vote, um, you're going to go vote for that individual? Yeah, that's a really great question. I'm glad you're asking it. Um, I have to say that a lot of what we hear from uh, Democratic candidates, a number of them, is pretty thin stuff. It's pretty much, you know, Walker cut schools and I'm going to get money back to schools. And in principle, I'm against the voucher schools, and that's about what you get. And um, the truth is, is that, that there's a lot of things that we could improve in education. So um, first and foremost, I just want to, I need to say this because we are opposing privatization. We don't think people understand the scale of the damage that the voucher program and the private charter program is doing to public schools. They are funded by money coming directly out of public schools, and they go into voucher and private charter schools that do not serve all the students. They definitely cherry-pick students. They definitely shed students that have disabilities or are harder to teach for whatever reason. And they're in the process right now of, of bankrupting our schools, our public schools, and it's just getting worse and worse every year. And one thing we want to hear on that to differentiate the candidates is how serious are you about stopping the expansion of private uh, schools, taking public money, and how serious are you about having a plan to start rolling that back? Because more resources for public schools is fundamental. Um, you know, this country became uh, the world's greatest middle-class country, really a prosperous country, because we invested in unprecedented levels in the education of our kids. You know, 150 years ago, it was you couldn't even imagine having free public education for kids up until they're 18 years old. It just, you know, in our country pioneered that. And we need to understand that if we want to have a first-class economy where people have opportunity and economic security, that we need to invest heavily in the schools. So we have to stop the bleeding that's going towards these um, low-road private schools. Another aspect of this that's not talked about enough is that it's not just Wisconsin, but all over the country, actually. Um, fewer people are getting into the teaching profession, and a lot of people are leaving the teaching professions. Uh, and that's because there's a test-and-punish regime where um, schools are heavily incentivized, basically, to narrow the curriculum and um, measure uh, progress by rubrics and by tests. And it's making uh, teachers miserable, frankly. It's completely de-skilling and deprofessionalizing the teaching professions. And we want to hear where the candidates stand on doing something about that. We've had Democrats like Barack Obama who came in saying we don't want to you know, continue with the over-testing and measure kids based on what they fill in with a pencil in a bubble. But then they've done the opposite. They set up an incentive system where basically the administrators uh, in the school districts all the way up to the national level are uh, pressuring districts to narrow their curriculum and be narrowly focused on basically leading in math scores. And we want to hear what they're willing to do to turn that around uh, so that teachers have some professional autonomy and schools can be something that kids are excited to be in again. That's just a couple examples. One other example I should say, and I know you guys have talked about, a lot about this, it's not sufficient, obviously, 
for a person to get a 12th grade education in our society. That's been true for a long time. And um, we really want to see mm -hmm. a, a serious movement towards um, free education up to uh, at least 16th grade, at least a college education. And on the front end, we know that actually it's a very low-hanging fruit. The resources are easily there to make all two-year institutions, especially tech colleges in our state, free. And we want to hear candidates' positions on willingness to put those resources into doing that. And so I think what you're saying, Ted, is literally if you're serious about public education, you're not just talking about limiting the damage. You're not just talking about not making cuts. You're talking about a major new investment. And we're a state we talked about in the last segment uh, that th can find $4 billion for Foxconn, but we can't find $4 billion for public education. And the general metrics show not only the advantage it does in education, but it would produce 85,000 jobs, not the 13,000 jobs claimed by Foxconn, if you believe it. So we're about out of time, Ted. I just want to, again, say that Educators Amplified Gubernatorial Edition is May 12th, Saturday, at from noon to 3 p.m. at the Miramar Theater, where there'll be a, a food truck and a full bar, and you can listen live on 1510 AM WRRD, and the sponsors are the Earl Ingram Show, the Busted Pencils Radio Show, Schools to be United, WEAC Region 7, AFT, Local 212, and Citizen Action of Wisconsin. Anything more, Ted, we should add? We, have a, we only have a couple seconds left. Appreciate your sponsorship and you're letting people know about it. Great. And that's all the time we have this week for Battleground Wisconsin. Thank you for joining us. And next week, we'll be back again uh, with our usual host, Matt Brust. So thank you for listening. And go to citizenactionwi.org to find out more about it.